0: Thursday night I went to bed and I asked the Lord, I'm like, you know, really trying to press in into what it was he wanted to, um, to have me talk about this morning. And so I woke up Friday morning and all I could think, all that was running through my mind was about the 12 spies. So I started um, reading in, in Joshua Friday afternoon and I know the twelve spies aren't in, you know, that story is not in the book of Joshua. But Joshua was one of the twelve who actually believed the word of the Lord and was not intimidated by what he saw when he went and spied out the land. Um, and so I felt the Lord give gave me a little different direction this morning um, for where we're going to go. And so we're going to read um, quite a bit out of the Bible this morning. And um, I'm just going to release what I feel the Lord has laid on my heart about some of the things that He brought up in the conference, and we'll see how this goes today. So here we go. So um, in my Bible, um, I use the NASB Bible, and um, I started reading about Joshua, that little section at the top where kind of explains to you about, you know, what this book is about and, you know, different things like that. And so it was just so, it, I just found it interesting how, how this is what the Lord pointed out. So it talks about how the book of Joshua describes um, the conquest of the land of Cana under the leadership of Joshua, you know, who was the successor of Moses. And Joshua had been an excellent understudy, it says, under Moses throughout the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. He was with Moses at Mount Sinai, and he was one of the um, 12 spies, and that of the older generation, only he and Caleb were permitted to cross the Jordan River. And it says that Joshua was indeed a great man of tremendous faith, courage, and leadership ability who believed that God could do what he promised. And so then it goes on to say that Israel had to cross two bodies of water in order to get to their final destination. The first one was the Red Sea, and the second one was the Jordan River. And many never made it past the second one, it says, because of their unbelief and disobedience. But it says Joshua was victorious in destroying the Canaanites because a new breed of Israelite. mm, That's what it says. Those who took God at his word. And so then it goes on to talk about the purpose of the book of Joshua is to show how God kept his original promise to Abraham and how all of the wicked were expelled out of the land and how the children who had been redeemed out of Egypt by the blood of the Passover were now claiming the blessing of that redemption. So it just caught my eye in there, a new breed of Israelite, those who took God at their word. And so then I remember Chuck, and um, he brought out something very similar to that in, in what he talked about at the conference in Advancing the New Era. He said, set aside three days of sanctification, because a new breed of leadership is coming for a new season is arising, right? So um, I want to talk about, you know, when Joshua took the Israelites over into the promised land. But before we do that, I want us to back up because I want us to go back and I know probably most of us all know, um, you know, what happened with the, the 12 spies and, you know, how the Lord freed the Israelites out of Egypt. But there's some things that I want to highlight in that because there are things that they went through and then they went to the wilderness and then they had to go back through and address some of those same things again before they went through. So, if you would turn in your Bibles back to the book of Exodus, chapter 13. And we're going to look down in verse 17. And so it says that, Now it came about when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. Because God said, Lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So, the Lord led the people around the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea, and the sons of Israel went up in a martial array from the land of Egypt. I just found it interesting that NASB used that word, martial array. Um, You know, it just said here how the Lord had brought the people out of slavery. They had been in, you know, under bondage, under under Pharaoh and the Egyptians, and I actually found where it said, for 430 years to the day, God's so specific, isn't he? To the day that from they went into bondage to when they came out to the day, it was 430 years when they were released from their bondage. And, you know, they were really tired and weary and all of that. So the Lord didn't show them right away, hey, I know you guys are tired, but there's going to be this battle that you're going to have to contend for. I've given you this land, but we're going to partner together, and I'm going to give it to you, but but you're going to have to go through a battle first in order to get the promise. So he waited a little bit. It's like even though he had already shown them these miracles, signs, and wonders in, in their release from their bondage and captivity in Egypt, he wanted to kind of give them a little bit more assurance and really, I think, show them, okay, this is going to be okay. I have this. We will partner together, right? So he sent them out. If we go down into verse 20, um, and so for... I'm an accountant and so English. The only reason I did super well in the SAT is because they had math. So some of these words, I don't know how to pronounce, so I'm going to skip them or botch them, but you'll just have to bear with me. Those of you who are the super grammatical English people in the the house today, you can tell me after, so that way I'll know how to say them later. But anyway, so they sent out from Succoth and they camped in Etham, on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light. And that night that they might travel by day and by night, which I had read through this before and I didn't realize they were traveling like both by day and by night. It doesn't talk about really how they were Resting. He was just moving them along, right? And he provided this pillar of fire by night to continue to lead them on the way. And it says that he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. And so God, in his wisdom, just again, he's trying to get them ready. He sent them a manifestation basically of himself. Here's a pillar of cloud, here's a pillar of fire. I want you to know, I am leading you, I am with you, I am there for you. So what happens then is Pharaoh decides, I've just let all these people go and I want them back because all these people who were building my city, right? So in chapter 14, it talks about how Pharaoh. Um, decides that he's going to go out and he's going to start pursuing after the Israelites, and so they see, they look back and they see the chariots, you know, the the chariots of Pharaoh's army, right, are chasing after them. And it says in verse ten that they became very frightened, and the son of the sons of Israel they cried out to the Lord. And then it says they said to Moses, "Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us into this wilderness to die? Why have you dealt with us this way, bringing us out of Egypt?" Is Is it not the word that we have spoken to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness but God's getting ready to show them something. So down in verse 13, it says, But Moses says to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Did you hear that? Like sometimes we're not supposed to say something. We're just supposed to stand and watch what the Lord does, right? So the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? He's like, tell the sons of Israel to go forward. And as you lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, the sons of Israel shall go down through the midst of the sea on the dry land. And then in verse 19, it says, And the angel of God, who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them, and it stood behind them. So it came about, it about between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. And there was a cloud along with darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus, one did not come near the other at night. So you've got the Israelites, and here's the Red Sea, and behind them is Pharaoh's army. And so what the Lord does is the angel angel of the Lord who's been leading and guiding them and the pillar of the presence of of, of the Lord that is manifested in front of them goes from in front of them to behind them. He stands between them and the enemy and he says, wait, be silent, watch what I am going to do for you. Trust me, right? So then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land so that the waters were divided. And the sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right and to their left. And then down in verses like 23 through 28, it talks about how the Egyptians then saw this, right? And so they thought, well, we're going to go out here and we're going to cross over as well. And so they went in there, and the Lord then took those waters, right? And basically drowned out the enemy in front of the Israelites. And in verse 30, it says, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And when Israel saw the great power which the Lord God had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord. And they believed that the Lord they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. So God wanted to show them, look, there's this impossibility in front of you, right here, this Red Sea, and you've got this army coming. This enemy is coming and chasing behind you. But if you will take me at my word and you will believe what I said and go where I have told you you are allowed to go, I will show up. You do your part. You come there. You stand there. I told you to not say anything and just stay and stand in faith and see the deliverance of the Lord at hand. I will come in and I will part the sea for you. I will make a way for you. You will be able to cross over and your enemy thinks that he can go the same way as you and I am telling him no, he cannot go because I will destroy the enemy. The Lord, it, the Lord, it is the Lord's battle. The victory belongs to the Lord. But there is a part we have to play. It's the same thing in this new, this new that we're going into. There are giants from the past season that have not been dealt with because we didn't deal with them in the past season. And the Lord is going to ask us to deal with those again. So the future generation behind us doesn't have to deal with them. And the question becomes, are we going to believe the Lord or are we going to be like this and say, no, I don't want to do that. And I'd rather go back into bondage for another 40 some years and wander around because I don't want to fight because I don't believe, I don't believe I can be victorious. Well, it's not about what I can do or what you can do in and of yourself. Our job, our role is to partner with heaven. That is what the Lord's been trying to show us. This new era, we need to partner with heaven and we need to say, what is my what is my assignment? What is my purpose? What is my plan? What do you need me to do, Lord, so you can work through me and before me and take the territory that I'm supposed to take? What is my part to play so that these people coming up behind me don't have to do my job, right? Don't have to do our job, right? So there are, let's see where I was, because now I got off on one of my little thingies. Bless God. Okay, so now we're going to go to Numbers. <laughs> Numbers chapter 13. So now we come to the spies. So the Lord spook, spoke to Moses and said, Send out for yourself men, so that they may spy out the land of Cana, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. And you shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran at the command of the Lord and all of the men who were the heads of the sons of Israel. And so then down through verses 4 through 16, he lists out, you know, everybody he sent. And included in that was Caleb and then Joshua, who's a son of Nun, which I didn't know his name used to be. It's like maybe Hosea, H-O-S-H-E-A. I didn't know that his name got changed, but Moses called him Joshua. So we all, everybody calls him Joshua. So he got a new name. Um, So in verse 17, it's amazing what you find when you go back and you reread and you're like, oh, wow, I never remember reading that before. Um, Verse 17, so when Moses sent them to spy out the land of Cana, he said to them, go up there to Negev and go up to the hill country and see what the land is like. And whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and now this is the land that God promised to Israel. So he's asking them, tell me what the land is like and who's in there who's illegally inhabiting our our you know our land right and how is the land in which they live is it good or bad and are they and how are their cities in which they live are they open camps or f- or do they have fortifications and how is the land is it fat or is it lean and are there trees in it or not and make an effort then to get some of the fruit of the land because now the time had come for the first ripe grapes and down in verse 23 it talks about how they cut down a single cluster of grapes and it was so big right that they carried it on a pole between two men and they also brought back some pomegranates and some figs can you imagine a cluster of grapes that big like just those just grapes alone and you you know I mean and if the if the grapes are that big you can imagine what some of the other stuff was. This land of plenty of where they had come from. They'd come out of like being starved to death in this famine, in this bondage, in these pits and all of that. And, and the Lord is telling them, here, look at what I have for you. This is your inheritance. This is the good thing I have. You are my people and I have this for you and I will I will take you into it. So the spies then back in verse um, 27, they of course they talk about what they saw there. And it says when they "'Thus they told him, and they said, "'We went into the land where you sent us, "'and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, "'and this is its fruit. "'Nevertheless, the people who live in that land are strong, "'and the cities are fortified and are very large, "'and moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there.'" And then in verse 30, it says, Caleb, so the people get all like, oh my word, there's basically giants There, right. So Caleb quieted the people before Moses, and he said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us, right? So they were looking at themselves, and they're like, we can't fight them. So they gave the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone in spying out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all of the people whom we saw in were men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, who are the sons of Anak, are part of the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight." So the people then go in chapter 14 and just talks about how how they rebel. They start grumbling, and they start complaining, and they start in in verse 2. It says, all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said, why would we basically that we should have died in Egypt and in the wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us to this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder, and would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So let us go and appoint another leader, and return back to Egypt. So Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb and those who spied out the land of, the, of those who had spied out the land they tore their clothes and they spoke to the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, "The land which we pass through to spy out is exceedingly good." And if the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land, and he will give it to us. And it is a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the Lord, for they shall be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us, but do not fear them. Right, so then you know a little while later, down in the in the chapter, like God gets mad at, at the people, and He's just like telling Moses, "Forget it, I'm done with them. I've done all this stuff for them. I'm tired of their whining and complaining. I'm going to wipe them all out, and I'm just going to start again with you." And Moses is like God, you know, you don't want to do that because these Egyptians and all these other people, they all all the enemies had heard about the fame right of of the God who was the God of Israel, and they were terrified. The enemies were terrified of Israel's God. Yet Israel, you know they were just doubting the God who they serve. They were like, well, we can't have this. It doesn't matter if God told us about it or not because there's giants there and there's no way we can have this land. And God's just like, you know what? Just forget it. Aren't you glad God doesn't do that anymore? Like really? And just like wipe us all out and start over with somebody else? Praise God. See, Jesus, the cross changed a lot for us, didn't it? Um, So down in verse 20, the Lord tells Moses basically, okay, I'll pardon them according to your word. But indeed as I live, all of the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs which I have performed in Egypt and in the wilderness yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not listened to my voice shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers nor to any of those who spurned me will see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had a different, he was of a different spirit and he has fully followed me, I will bring him into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. And then we skip over into verse 30. And it says, Surely you will not come into the land which I swore to settle you, except Caleb and Joshua. Your children, however, whom you said would become a prey, I will bring them in, and they will know the land which you have rejected." And then in 33, he goes on, he said, "'And your sons will be shepherds for forty years in the wilderness, and they will suffer for your unfaithfulness. And your corpses will lie in the wilderness, according to the number of days which you spied out the land. Forty days for every day you shall bear your guilt a year, even forty years, and you shall know my opposition.'" Because I, the Lord, have spoken, and surely I will do do all of this on this evil, evil congregation who are gathered together against me. And in this wilderness, they will be destroyed, and there they shall die. And as for the men who Moses sent to spy out the land who returned and made all of the congregation grumble against him by bringing a bad report concerning the land, even those men who brought out that very bad report of the land died by a plague of the Lord. But Joshua and Caleb remained alive out of the men who went to spy out the land. Now, isn't it a good thing we're not in a seeker-sensitive church? Because this is not a very seeker-sensitive kind of um, passage, is it? No. Now, I'm not saying that God's going to get ready to wipe us all out. That's not what I meant. (laughs) I'm just saying, the Lord is just pointing some things out, um, you know, to us in that. So they ended up, you know, the Israelites, they had been pleading and asking the Lord to deliver them for over 400 years and the deliverance came, right? And so he started to bring them out and things didn't look like they thought it was supposed to look like. They had their own I guess preconceived ideas, preconceived notions of how this whole promised land thing was supposed to go down and it wasn't happening the way they thought. And so they were like, "You know what? We we just want to go back. We it's it's better for us to go back here. There's no way we can do this." So the Lord said, "Fine." You know, then you're not going to go. But I'm not going to send you back to Egypt. You're going to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years, and your children then will go in and have the inheritance that you that you rejected, that you rejected of me. So the question, too, the Lord wants to ask us is, what is he asking us to do in this season? And are we going to listen to the Lord and take on that assignment and do it? Or are we going to go back, and are we going to stay in the wilderness and say, you know what, I just don't want to do that. That's not what I thought it was going to look like, God. That's not what I thought my next assignment was going to be. I don't want to I don't want to have any part of that. I just want to stay back here because I'm comfortable in this. This is what I know. Even though I don't like it and I've grumbled and complained about it, I'd rather stay back here in this where I am familiar and not go out into this new thing because this is too uncomfortable for me and this is not what I want to do. And so we don't want to be like that, right? That's not how we want to be. Because there's things that the Lord needs us to take care of, like I said, because we're we are making a way then for our children, for our children's inheritance, and we need to take care of what the Lord has asked us to do. So he doesn't say, I have this against you that you didn't do what I asked you to do. So that's what we need to know. What is he asking us to do? And our part only, not somebody else's part. It's not my part to do, you know, Bryant's part, his part isn't to do my part. My part is to do what the Lord asked me to do, and his part is to do what the Lord asked him to do. And if we are obedient in doing that, that's what the Lord Lord wants. And it's not about what the position is. It is just your obedience in the thing that the Lord has asked us to do. So now um, in Numbers 27, which you don't have to um, necessarily turn there, that Joshua gets anointed. He gets anointed and he gets commissioned. He gets anointed and, and commissioned by Moses because Moses didn't listen to the Lord either. Moses sinned, and the Lord told him, you will see the land from a distance, but you're not going to be able to enter into it. I'm going to use somebody else to usher into the people into the land of promise. So Moses is, you know, they're getting ready to enter in, so Moses is passing the baton. The new breed of leadership is coming in. The um, the old, all of the old people, the people that, not the old people, but the people who were there who all needed to die have died off, and just their children are remaining. And in case you're asking, well, you know, I'm not in my 20-something, it's not about, this isn't about age. If you're breathing and you're here, which you all are, then you have an assignment in the new, right? So we all do, there's there's hope for all of us, right? God hasn't left any of us left in the wilderness, we're all ready to go into the new thing, so we all have an assignment. It's not about age, it's just about the fact of, let's look and see what happened here, and let's not repeat things that um, others have made in the past, like mistakes others have made. Um, all right, so we're going to look in Numbers 33. In verse 50 to 56. So the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan opposite Jericho saying, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when you cross over the Jordan into the land of Canaan, Then you shall drive out all of the inhabitants of the land from before you, and you will destroy all their figured stones and destroy all of their molten images, and you will demolish all of their high places, and you will take possession of the land and live in it, for I have given you the land to possess it, and you will inherit the land by lot according to your families, and then he goes on to talk about how they're going to inherit it, and then in verse 55, it says, but if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come about that those whom you let remain of them will become as pricks in your eyes and as thorns in your sides and they will trouble you in the land in which you live so he told them again they're gonna have to cross another body of water it's like deja vu right like our parents had to do it now it's our turn we're gonna cross this body of water and the Lord's telling them okay there's there's giants in the land. There's there's something you're going to have to deal with and you are going to have to face it, but I have given this to you as a possession and I'm going to go with you into the land and you will take possession of it and you have to drive them out because if you don't drive them out, then, they, the, then that enemy that is there is going to cause a problem for you. And so the question is, is what giant or giants are in your promised land that you are supposed to drive out and are you going to partner with the Lord and do the, what needs to be done to drive them out or? Are you going to let them stay because you think that well, you know, it's not really that much of a problem. I'm used to having this or I'm used to having that and it's all right. As the enemy lulls you into this comfort zone of like they can be squatters in there with you too and that, you know you can we can just give us this little corner over here and we'll be quiet and stuff like that. But just don't drive us out, right? Let, like let me keep this peace. Are we going to let them do that? Are we going to be fully obedient to the Lord and take? Full possession of our inheritance and say, No, if all of this belongs to me, then all of it really belongs to me, and I will not allow the enemy to have any part or partake or hold on any piece of anything that belongs to the Lord. All right, so now we're in Joshua. Praise God, I'm not going to read the entire Old Testament to you this morning, so you should be happy. All right, so Joshua chapter 1. So it came about, so now Moses um, has passed away. And um, in verse two, it says, so Moses, my servant is dead. This is the Lord talking to Joshua. And he says, Now therefore arise and cross this Jordan, you and all of this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you just as I have spoke to Moses. And then in verse 5, No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them only be strong and very courageous be careful to do according to all of the law which Moses my servant commanded you do not turn to it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go Because this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you will meditate on it day and night that you may do, that you may be careful to do according to all what is written in it, and then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, and do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So then Joshua, he commands the people, his officers, and he says, pass through the midst of the camp, get the people ready, right? Right? Command the people, saying, prepare provisions for yourselves for within three days, get ready, you are going to cross the Jordan, and you are going to go possess the land which the Lord your God has given to you to possess it. So Chuck's word said, set aside three days. Three days, set aside, right? So he tells the people to get ready. So then in chapter 2, Joshua decides he's going to send out spies, to go look at the land, to see the condition that it's in now compared to the condition that it's in before, except he only sends two. So it says, Joshua sent two men as spies um, secretly. He didn't tell anybody, and he says, go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went, and they came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. And then in verse (laughs) 9, And this is what Rahab, and she says to them, she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Now, she's one of the enemy, right? The enemy is sitting there telling the spies of Israel, I know that the Lord has given this land to you, this land that we're in, right? And the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all of the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings beyond the Jordan, whom you utterly destroyed. And we have heard it, and our hearts have melted, and we no longer have courage and Yeah, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. And it's so, it's like the enemy had more faith in their God than they did right? And that's what the enemy wants us to do today, right? Like, have more faith. He, he knows what God can do. He used to be in heaven. He was created by God. He was the worship leader of heaven. You know, he took one-third of the angel armies with him, right? He had some power. He, he understood what happens in heaven, right? And then, but us... He has us so, just like that, he has us so in in fear and doubt and unbelief and looking around at these circumstances that we doubt God. But he knows, but he's like, well, if I can get them to doubt and I can get them to not move, then there's, you know... They're just going to stay where they are, and they're not going to do any damage to me. You know, yeah, they're saved, and, you know, they're going to go to heaven, and there's really nothing I can do there, but I can keep them from inheriting their promise. I can keep them from really having the fulfilled life that they're supposed to do. I can keep them from successfully fulfilling their assignment because I have them in fear, right? But really, he is the one who's afraid. He's afraid that you are really going to realize who it is you serve, right? Who is it that you're serving? And it's not about us doing things, right? Because the battle belongs to the Lord. It is him in us. He wants to operate through us to do things. And so what he's asking us to do, that is what we need to do. And when we partner with him, then things will begin to shift. And he will be able to the enemy will you will start to see the enemy pushed back you will start to see things happen you will start to see the promises like Leah talked about Saturday morning where find yourself in this book what has the lord promised you and told you belongs to you and if you do not have it yet why? Then you go and you ask the Lord the strategy. This is the new season. This is the new era. What is keeping me back from my promise? And how? what is the strategy that I need for the enemy to leave? How can I partner with you, Lord, so that way I can take this and I can have that promise? And we can be a testimony of people as well that people will look at and say, oh my word, our hearts melted. Like we better not, you know, those elected officials better start doing what they're supposed to do because their hearts have melted in the fact that they know who's God, the Ecclesia serves, and the ecclesia put him in office, and they have a fear of the Lord in them. But they don't have that fear of the Lord in them because we don't have that fear of the Lord. We don't really believe necessarily that the Lord is going to do what He says He's going to do, right? And the Lord is telling us, "Look, I need you to shift. You've been wandering around for too long. Now is the time to go into this new thing. And I have you ready, and I will not leave you alone. And I will go with you. I put my Spirit on the inside of you. You have My Word. You have the blood of Jesus. We are in." such a different position than they were here, like, and, and and to really have that real revelation and that understanding of that, right, like... Th- The Holy Spirit didn't dwell on side each and every Israelite. He didn't. The Holy Spirit came down and was on chosen ones, right? He was the priest, you know, had one. Joshua had him. Moses had him. The prophets would have the Holy Spirit and things like that. We have the Spirit of the living God living on the inside of us. And he's sitting there and he's telling them, and they don't even have it, everywhere your foot touches belongs to you. So everywhere our foot touches belongs to us. We are carriers of the kingdom. We have this kingdom DNA on the inside of us. And it's like we don't need him to manifest as a pillar of fire and a cloud because he literally lives on the inside of us. They didn't have that. So the Lord was like, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) I'm going to show up and I'm going to show you who I am and I'm going to perform these miracle signs and wonders in front of you to show you because they didn't have anything to read. The Bible wasn't even written back then, right? They had nothing other than the testimony of whatever it was that the stories they would tell their their children, that's what they were supposed to tell them. The stories of the Passover, this story, that story. This is what the Lord did because they had no other way of of remembering it unless they continued to tell it to them until it was written down. And we have these here as a remembrance for the Lord to be like, take out the word. Go back and look at some of the stuff I did. I am that same God. And this new thing that i I want to do. It might not look like this, but if I can do this before Jesus, what can I do after? You know what I mean? What can I do now that you are have been reconciled to me? We don't have to go and have to go to a priest and have him sacrifice, you know, um, a, a goat or a a dove or a sheep or whatever, any, you know, whatever it was that you needed at that time in order to be forgiven so that you could, you know, be blessed for the next year. We don't have to do that. They couldn't even have access to the Father. The Lord reconciled himself to us because he wanted this relationship with us. Oh, thank you. And um, I didn't want to bring mine up because I probably would have spilled it. (laughs) Anyway, and, um, right? So, yeah. And I got off of my, where am I right now? So, oh. So let's go on and we look at, they're going to cross over Jordan in um, chapter three. So in chapter three, and so God did it a different way, right? That's part of what he wants to show us. He's like, I'm going to do something in a different way than I did before. So at the Red Sea, right, the Lord told him, come stand there and stand and be quiet. Don't say anything. And in 24 hours, he parted it, right? He moved the sea and they crossed over. But this time he tells them they're in front of the Jordan River. And he's like, I'm not doing it the same way. I'm going to do it a different way. And this is what I want you to do. So it says, it came about at the end of three days that the officers went through the midst of the camp and they commanded the people saying, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God with the Levitical priests carrying it, you shall set out from your place and go after it. However, there shall be between you a distance of about 2,000 cubics. Do Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you have to go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord is going to do mighty wonders among you. And so then in verse 7, so now the Lord said to Joshua, this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that I will be with you just as I have been with Moses. And you shall, moreover, command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, when you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Then Joshua said to the sons of Israel, come and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, by this you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will assuredly dispossess, dispossess from before you all of those ites, right, Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you into the Jordan. And down in verse 13, And it shall come about that when the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord of all of the earth shall rest on the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, and the waters which are flowing down from above shall stand up in one heap. And so it came about that when the people set, up, set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before them, when those who carried the Ark came to the Jordan and the feet of the priests carrying the Ark were dipped on the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows its banks in the days of harvest. So this is when it was at its highest. There's a lot, I mean, you know, the, the Jordan River. The waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap and a great distance away at Adam, which is a city beside this other place, which I found it interesting. I'm like, wow, there was a city called Adam. It just kind of just struck me, Adam, first, it's like he's starting all over at the beginning, right? He's like going back to Adam. We're going to go, we're going to enter into the promised land, and we're going we're gonna to try this again. We're going to see, you know, this is what God wanted from the beginning, so we're starting over with this generation, and we're going to go into the promised land, and we're going to do the new thing, and we're going to go back, and we're going to go to the beginning, but it's going to be in a different way. And the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant in verse 17 of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all of Israel crossed on dry ground until the entire nation had finished crossing over the Jordan. And then it goes on in verse 4 and it talks about how Joshua had them set up a memorial, right? They did two memorials. They did one in the center of the Jordan. They took 12 stones and they put it there where the priest stood. And then they took 12 other stones and they put them on the opposite side of the Jordan. And they had those out there. Why? And it said because every time when the waters, the waters weren't always as high as they were. When the waters were lower, that you'd be able to see out in the middle of that Jordan River those stones as a constant memorial, as a constant reminder of, do not forget what I, the Lord your God, can do. Look at that. Look at that. Like you can see it in the midst of the water that it was there because how else would it have gotten there? So it wasn't just like it was here on the dry land where you could say, oh, well, anybody could have put the stones there, right? But it was in the middle. It was in the middle of the Jordan, right? And so when the, the waters were flooded, you couldn't see them, but at the times when it wasn't as high, you know, during, I forget how many, you know, I don't know if it was two-thirds of the year or something like that, you'd be able to see that as a constant, constant reminder of who God is and his power. He wanted them to be constantly reminded. And so for us, it's like we go back and we look at things that the Lord has done for us, see things that the Lord has done for other people. What is the testimony? What is the constant reminder of, if you will trust me, this is what I can do. But it isn't always going to look the same, right? It isn't always going to look that way. So then we go into chapter 5, and it talks about how he... Um, he had the people, the men had to circumcise themselves because God was setting them apart, right? He was setting them apart for them to not look like everybody else. That's why he had them go through that process of circumcision, the males, right? So that they were they were considered set apart. They were looked different from their enemies. We are set apart. We should look different than the world. Not necessarily because of how we dress or do we have a tattoo? Do we not have a tattoo? Or there's some piercing here? Not like that. But they should just look at us and we should just look different. We should respond to situations differently. We should talk different, carry ourselves different, not in a haughty way, but there should just be this peace about us where people are like, how can you have this peace in the midst of the storm that is going on? And you are like, let me introduce you to the one who gives that peace. The reason why I have this peace, and I can be the way that I am, and I can say the things that I can say, is because I know the one true living God, so let me introduce him to you. So that way, too, you can have that same peace. You can have that. Again, it's not about the, you know, our looks, the physical Um, our physical looks necessarily as opposed to what it is that we carry, the presence that comes about with us, right? So um, in chapter 6, it goes on and he talks about, so now they're coming to their first battle, if you will, for Jericho, right? And it's this fortified city. And so they have to get the strategy from the Lord and ask him, what is it that we need to do in order to conquer this city, right? And so the Lord told them. he goes, he said, to Joshua. He goes in verse number 2. He said, "See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and all of its valiant warriors, right? So the king and all the valiant warriors of Jericho, the Lord is telling to this people, his people. I've already given them to you. It doesn't matter, right? He goes, "You will march around the city, all of your men of warring circle the city you will walk march around it once and you will do so for six days and also seven priests will carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark and on the seventh day you are going to march around that city seven times and the priests will blow the trumpets and it shall be that when they make the long blast of the ram's horn when you hear the sound of the trumpet all of the people will shout with a great, great shout, and the wall of the city will fall flat, and the people will go up, every man straight ahead. And so in verse 10, Joshua commanded the people saying, you shall not shout, nor let your voice be heard, nor a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I tell you, shout. Then you shall shout. So he's making it clear, I don't want to hear nothing out of any of you marching around the city. I don't want anybody like, why do we have to march around the city? This is like the third day. We're not even saying anything. I don't see anything happening. Why do we have, he doesn't want any mumbling, grumbling, complaining, because he remembered what happened when everybody started mumbling and grumbling and complaining before. He's like, I don't want to hear it. We have the word from the Lord. This is what the Lord said to do. It doesn't matter how crazy it looks. Literally, you're going to march around the city every day for six days and not say anything? And then on the seventh day, you want us to march around it seven times and blow these trumpets or horns or whatever and shout? Really? Like, I mean, you know what I mean? If you think about that, that sounds, people are, we can sit there now and be like, wow, how could they not believe that? Well, what does God ask us to do, right? And we're thinking, I'm not doing that. That sounds kind of crazy. That sounds ridiculous. The Lord um, asked Bryant and I, we got a word, and he, um, they said that the Lord's told us that you, there's some things that you guys have been believing for, you've been standing for, and you haven't seen them come to pass yet. The Lord says you need to do a Jericho. That was all we got. We're like, okay. So we go home from church, and we're talking about it. We're like, what do you think we should do with that? And I said, right. I was like, well, we can march around our coffee table. We're like, well, we have this, for those of you who helped us move our pineapple table, that circle table, that's what we used. So we're like, well, we got that. That's a circle. We can march around in a circle. So we made, we prayed about it, and we did a list, and we each brought our list together, and we pretty much had the same things on this list of some stuff we were believing the Lord for, and we said, okay, well, this is what he said to do, so we prayed about it, put, and then for six nights, we marched around our table one time, we didn't say anything, we did it, and on the seventh night, we marched around that table seven times, and we were done, we are like, "Woo!" you know, maybe we didn't shout as long as we should have, but we did, you know, right, and we're like, okay, and, um, you know, one of the things on that list was we were having some uh, challenges with one of our sons, and um, there was some strain and things like that, and um, he was at the time living with his biological mom, and um, so some circumstances and some things happened, and um, he ended up passing away. Um, this coming Sunday, it'll be four years since he went to graduate with the Lord, but so people might say, well, you didn't get your Jericho but it's like yeah we did because part of what was on there was reconciliation with our son and um, before we had seen him he had been in the hospital and stuff like that and you know Bryant was was able to talk to him a little bit and things like that and we didn't necessarily feel like we were were making that ground that that true reconciliation you know that it was that we were looking for um, we weren't seeing that and um the, the first night we went to the hospital when he was in there, he had, had a, um, been diagnosed with leukemia. And a, a side effect of the medicine was a blood clot went to his brain. And so he was basically in a vegetative state for three days on life support. So he never came out of that for us to have a conversation with him. But we were in that hospital room. And we were praying in the spirit. And I'm telling you, the spirit of God showed up in that place. And I don't know what happened all in the spirit realm when we were in there. But I know there was a contending for him that there was something that God did, and whatever it was that needed to be done, and it needed to be taken care of, was taken care of in that room. And several months later, some woman came up to Bryant after a service that we were at, and she said, she goes, I don't know if this is going to mean anything to you or not. She said, but the Lord wants me to tell you that your son said everything, we're all good, like everything's okay. There's does that mean anything to you? And he, you know, just started breaking down because we got our restoration with our son. We just didn't see it the way we thought. It didn't happen in the physical realm necessarily for us to see. But we have been forever reconciled with him and we will be with him again one day and we will forever be reconciled with him. So whatever the Lord needed us to do, whether or not that thing looked crazy or not, I'm like, if we had not been obedient and done what he asked us to do, I don't really know what would have happened in that. You know what I mean? And thank God we didn't. But what are those little crazy things sometimes that you feel like the Lord is asking you to do as a prophetic act, as an act of obedience? It's like, will you just do it because I asked you to? That's what he wants to know. Not that there's really anything like us marching around a table. What did that do? The table didn't fall over, you know, like none of that. But it was just the fact that will you do it? Just because I asked. And so that's the question, right, that he's asking us in this. Will you do whatever it is just because I asked you to? Will you go to this one and say, you know, this person over here and say, hey, would you like to go get coffee with me? Or, you know, I just thought you could use a hug. Or is there something I can pray with you about today? Or how about you come over to our house and let's get together and, and, you know, just hang out or do things. You know, whatever it is, little things sometimes the Lord just asks us to do that for us seem so insignificant. But it's God's just like, I just... I'm just asking for you to say yes. I'm just asking for you to sew a little bit, do a little bit, because you just don't know sometimes, you know, what that other person has gone through or what it is that they're doing, you know, or what it takes for somebody to come up and and to do something. Or, like, you know, some of these people, too, like coming up and playing an instrument. You know, you've got some people who play for the first time. We don't know what they've gone through, like how it is taking everything in their being to literally just stand up there and play, and yet we can sit there and be like, man... They probably needed a couple more lessons before they get up there. We can get critical and we can get judgmental. And that is not what the Lord wants us to be like in our assignment, in this new assignment. We need to say, no, look at what the Lord is doing in this one. Look at what he's doing in that one. Look how, look at that age, what they can go ahead and what they can do. You know, and if I want to be transparent, you know, I would already shared with you guys at the conference that I'm an accountant. This is not, well, I'm a daughter of the Lord. Yes, Lord, I'll correct myself. I'm your daughter. I do accounting for a job. Not really who I am, but I was praying this morning and I started to cry because it you do, it takes every ounce of my willpower, if you will, Lord, to walk up here and deliver a message because it is so outside of my comfort zone and if it seems like it's not, then that's all God. and if it seems like it isn't, well, then that's because you know, I'm still really being stretched and this is a process and I'm like, Lord, I'm like I this is not my favorite thing to do, you know, but if you're asking me to do this, then I I have to have faith in you that you will tell me what I need to say, you will deliver it the way it needs to be delivered like, you know, help me work through whatever it is in me that I need to work through so that way I can I can deliver what it is that you want and say how you want it, you know, what it is you want to have said said and um not make a complete idiot out of myself, but, you know, we're all humans, and we're not perfect, and if I do, well, then it's like, you know what, well, then the next time, praise God, I'll just have to do, you know, I'll do better, but you have to have, it's that, I'm just being real, you know, so if you think that, wow, well, I couldn't do that, I'm like, Yes, you can. Whatever it is the Lord's asking you to do, if you just say yes to him, it's okay. And if you don't feel comfortable, it's all right. And you might not ever really feel super comfortable in what this assignment is that he's asking you to do. But all he's asking you for is like just say yes and just partner with me and let us shift and let us do what we need to do for this new thing so we don't have to sit here and keep going back around in this because the time is too short. The Lord wants to do some things. I'm so excited for what he wants to do in this nation, right, over the next eight, nine days. like it's it's this culmination, like you can feel it in the spirit realm man, you can feel that enemy's just stirring, 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 stirring and we're just like no, we are not letting it down because God has these covert people, he has these, and and they're hiding and they're not telling anybody who they're voting for and they're not doing this and they're not doing that, but they're going to come and they're going to show up and we are going to shift it and that's what we need to decree and we need to declare that the Lord will shift this and that is why, I mean you've got people from the other party walking away being like I don't know what has happened, it's because these people have gone crazy because the enemy is so ripped roaring mad that, you know, we haven't backed down. So take courage in that. I know it sounds like maybe like this message was like a I'm going to beat you up message and like that kind of thing and that's not what it was supposed to be. It's It was supposed to say, look, you know, this is what they went through before and this is what they did, but this is the new breed, right? Because we're still here. The Lord knows. He's like, look, I've pulled you out of this wilderness season. Remember, 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 remember what I did. Remember what I did for the Israelites, how they saw this and they saw that and everything, but I told them that they could have it. So this new breed came along, right? The one with with Joshua. And they said, okay, well, we're going to believe the word of the Lord. We're not going to do what what our past did, what those in the past did, what we've done in our past, or what our ancestors did in the past, and say God can't do it, we can't do it, we can't do it. We're going to say yes, and we're going to go in, and we're going to move forward, and we're going to get the strategy. Because when they did that, when they shouted, their shout, you know what I mean, didn't do anything in and of itself. You wouldn't think, but in the spirit realm, right, the Lord came in and leveled that fortified city because of their obedience. God came in, heaven came down, He partnered with them, right, and the city fell. The city fell down, and then they went on and then. And they had another one. They had something else, you know, that the Lord asked them to do, and He told them to go ahead and take to take the city, and they took that one. But then there was a, there was a part where they, with the Gibeonites later on, where they got deceived because these people came in and they lied to them and told them like we're not really from here. We're these foreigners from this other land. And so Joshua it says that they did not inquire of the Lord, and they made peace with their enemy. Because they didn't ask the Lord. And that's the thing. That's been the message of the Lord with this new assignment. You have got to ask me for the strategy. You have got to make sure you ask me. Don't think that you know how to do it because you've, well, we, we've already had two battles and we were successful. So we don't need to ask the Lord about this. And then all of a sudden they're like, we just told we just told them, we just swore before God that we would be at peace with them. And now we found out that they live, they're in our, they're in our backyard. So now we have to have them in our backyard forever, which they did because they swore an oath before God that said we weren't going to kill them. Even though they told God they were going to drive them all out. Now over here, they made peace with them because they didn't ask the Lord and they didn't recognize the enemy. So you got to recognize the enemy. So you have to listen. And it's not about putting all your focus on the enemy. That's not what I mean. But there is a strategy, you know, when, when, um, football. My husband's been watching college football. Right? They study the plays of the opposing team to get a strategy to see how does he work? How does this enemy operate? What do they do? Not that they want to focus on the enemy. Our focus isn't supposed to be on that. Our focus is supposed to be on the Lord. So the Lord is showing us. He's like, watch. Because if you come up and you listen and you're with the Lord and the Lord begins to show you the plan and the strategy of the enemy and to study the opponent, you see it from the Lord's perspective. You can watch him sneaking in that back door. But if you try to do it down here on your own and you don't inquire of the Lord, right, then you're going to end up with the enemy in your backyard. And that's not what we want, right? That's not what we want in this new season. So, um, you know, Back with Chuck's word, how he just talked about this set aside, these three days of sanctification, he said, because this new breed of leadership is upon us. And it's not about, well, if I don't have a mic, I'm not a leader. All of you are leaders. That's not it. It's, it's, not, it's not about that. We are all leaders in this new assignment. Everybody is a leader. Everybody has their specific part. It's not about all of us following one specific person. It, it's not it, right? But the Lord is saying, he's like, set aside some time. Come and talk to me. Come and get the strategy. What is he asking us to do? Like when they um, which he talked about the sin of the sin of Achan, right? So when they defeated I, the city of I, the Lord said that there was stuff that they that belonged to him, that they were not allowed to keep it. The stuff belonged to the Lord. And Achan saw some stuff and said, mm, But that would be okay to keep. Like, I don't have to really get rid of that because that's pretty nice. I want to hold on to that. So he took some things for himself that didn't belong to him that the Lord said, Those aren't yours. You don't get to have that. Like, that belongs to me. And because of that, then he got, you know, he got in trouble. And anyway, they ended up dying. And here I go again. Sounds like I'm talking about everybody's going to die. No, we're not going to die. But what what is the Lord asking us to do in this new season? Like, for me, he's asked more of my time. I need more of your time. And he started doing that at the beginning of October. And I'm like, okay, God, so I was negotiating, like, 5, you mean 5 a.m.? What about 5.30? Did you really say 5? Maybe it was 6. Maybe that was just me thinking 5, and you didn't ask me to get up at 5 o'clock every morning. You know, and so we do this little, you know, you negotiate with the Lord. But as I was driving over here this morning, I started thinking, You know, little things like that. It's like, okay, God, but if you asked me for five to six and I don't give you five to six because I held on to it for me, that's my time. Like, oh, it's raining today, so I know it's going to rain and I'm not going to go work out, so I'll sleep the extra hour and get up at six, you know, since I'm not going to go work out and then I can do six to seven. Is that okay? Right? And it's not about being religious. It's about what, what did he ask you to do? And so it's like even little things like that, it's like if he asked you for it, and you don't give it to him, right? Not, he's not going to burn you up or stone you outside the city or whatever. It's, it's, you know, thank God we don't have that because we have the blood of Jesus and there's forgiveness and all of those things. But he's like, I need something from each and every one of you. I need that for you to shift. I need I need something. I need you to give me a little bit more than what you gave me in the past season. And will you do that? And as in our obedience for that, what will the Lord do? How will he multiply that back, you know, to us because of our obedience? So that's really what um, I feel the Lord um, wanted us to release, and to remember, too, that we are all, you guys are all anointed, right? You know, you all have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. That is the anointing. The Holy Spirit comes in, and he empowers you. To do the work, to do the assignment that the Lord has asked you to do, and He will help you through it. So even though it looks like it's this huge mountain, don't focus on that. Focus on the Lord. Focus on what are you asking me to do for today. Focus on what what is it that I have? What's in my backyard right now that I need to kick out? That I've you know that I've let there that I've become too comfortable with having what it, show me what those things are so i can do this consecration so i can do this cleansing process and so i can truly shift into the new because the lord's getting ready to shift this nation he is shifting 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 things and he's you know we keep saying that over and over again and he just wants us to do our part and to not get overwhelmed to not get into fear to not be intimidated by the enemy trying to say there's no way you can do that there's no way god really would have asked you to do that and stop listening to the lie of the enemy and hear hear the voice of the Lord, hear the heartbeat of heaven, and just walk into that assignment with the confidence that he is going before me, he is around me, he is in me, he is behind me, the battle and the victory is his, I just have to do my part, and if my part is standing, then I will stand, if my part is decreeing and declaring this, then I will decree and I will declare the word of the Lord, if my part is coming over here and giving somebody a hug today, a word of encouragement, then I will do that, because when I act in that obedience, things shift, they shift in the spirit at Rome, and that's all he's asking us to do. Help me shift. Just help me shift it. Help me shift it. So, I thank you, Heavenly Father. For this new, I thank you, Father God, for this new era, for this new assignment, Father. And I just break off, Father God, that spirit of intimidation, that spirit of fear, that spirit of you're not good enough, that the enemy has tried to keep on these people and in this region for so long, Father God. I thank you that you are pouring out a new spirit of boldness, your new fire, Heavenly Father, fresh fire, fresh anointing. Give us that oil change, Father God, that Patty talked about the other day, this fresh new filling of this new oil for the new assignment. Show us, Heavenly Father, things that belong to you. What part of us, Father God, are you asking us to give to you that belongs just, it is just between you and me. It is is—it is ours, Father God. What is that? And then help us, Heavenly Father, to give us the strength, Father God, in the in the natural, if you're asking us to get up earlier, or if you're asking us to stay up late, whatever, whatever that is, Father God, that we will trust you enough to know that if we say yes to you, that that we will have the strength to be able to do it. We will have the rest that we need. We will have the resources that we need. Whatever it is, Father God, you will provide for the for the assignment because you always provide. And that we will not forget that we will keep our eyes on you and we will not keep our eyes on, on the enemy, but that we will focus on you and that you will show us the strategy and you will show us how to shift. And I thank you, Heavenly Father, for doing that in Jesus' name.